RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Star Trek Directorial Commitments, 1967. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly, yes. You, hey, media historians, and of course, all you Trekophiles spelled with an F. Listen, we're not taking a break this week. We have our document of the week. It's right there at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. You can find it as always. But this time, we're going to cut right to the chase. I'm going to bring in my guest. We're going to talk about directors then and now, directors of the original series, and especially an interesting arrangement that happened um, in the second season. And when I'm talking about directors, who's handy? Who's right here? And who can give us a then and now perspective? None other than our good friend Mike Demerit, legendary first assistant director, uh, eventually wound up that way, mm-hmm. on Voyager. And oh, Enterprise, all 11 years, and um, a good recent guest on the show here, good friend. So thank you, Mike, for coming back. Oh, anytime. It's an interesting document. I mean, it's it's fundamentally simple. It's like who's directing this season. Right. But what strikes you is, hey, it's the same two names coming up over and over again. What's going on? That's not the normal television way. The normal television way is to bring in a, a, a group of directors so they right. have a different feel uh, with each episode. And you might have your favorite person do three or four uh, but but the idea that you're just going to have the same two directors over and over again is giving an awful lot of power to the directors that usually uh, creative, uh, we'll call them showrunners, don't like to surrender. Because it's famously TV and movies are two different critters. Yeah. The director's king on a movie, not so much. He's the odd one out on a TV show. Yeah, the in a feature film, the, the director... Uh, was had input on who the designer was, uh, had a lot of influence on who the director of photography was, actually selects the first AD. In television, all those people are in, in there on the day you were hired. So it's an interesting dynamic. Um, there isn't really a lot of difference, though. I, I, I know we emphasize the difference between television and feature, but the work's the same. Right. Whether It's just how do you assist the director. In television... You know, I had a director once say he wanted to do this low shot looking up and, and see the fixtures flying by in the hallway, and that would be cool. And, and he asked me, what do I think of that? And I said, I think it's great. But someone tried something like that. Rick Berman saw it and said, if any, actor, if any director ever shoots up one of my actors' nose again, and he was like, oh, well, thank you for telling me that. <laughs> I won't do it. And that's how you assist in television. In, in a feature film, you hired the director for their tone and vision. Um, there still have that role in television, mm-hmm. but in television, you're trying to achieve the objectives of the creators. If you get hired for The Walking Dead, you don't suddenly say, I don't think Rick Grimes would do that. <laughs> right. You, you can't. Yeah. It's not your turf. So it's a different dynamic, but yet you want that something that they bring. So if you have the same two people over and over again, it says one of two things. There aren't people who are doing this well for you, and these guys can do it well. <laughs> Or these guys have gotten themselves into a position with their relationship with the actors and the crew, and particularly Gene Roddenberry, that they are most comfortable with them. I, I can't explain any other reason. I know there are shows that still do this to this day. Orville is, is doing this on mm-hmm. their season three. Um, 
And I, when you get to the big HBO kind of productions, they will sometimes have an eight-episode season with one first assistant director and one director doing it all. Right. And they'll prep for four weeks, and then they'll shoot four episodes, and then they'll prep for four more weeks, and they'll shoot four episodes. But they treat it like it's a big feature because they have a bottomless bucket of money. <laughs> and uh, that was not the case for poor TOS. Well, look what happened. They, so they survived their freshman year. Yeah. And all the legendary famous stories about Star Trek, uh, fighting the budget, fighting ratings, fighting timing, exhaustion. They're all trying to do this amazingly crazy landmark show to the best they can. They're all inspired by Gene. They've got a you know top to bottom in the crew. They're all out there breaking their necks, ruining their marriages <laughs> over this. But they're trying. Now they've got a break. They survived. They had a little bit of a bubble scare. They came back. And now they're obviously trying to find what, what have we learned from. And uh, out of the stable of directors, uh, and Star Trek was one of the most specific shows right. ever. Right. And if nothing else, Desi Liu's given the world Mission Impossible now and, <laughs> and Star, Star Trek. Trek. And along with Twilight Zone, I don't, you know, how many others in the 60s, how many you know, shows are this specific? So, yeah, a good director is yeah. hard to find. And, and there's they, a there's a comfort factor that I'm particularly talking about like Mark Daniels. Yeah, <laughs> come on, uh, he had the gift for this show. Uh, I never. What's ironic to me is having been a kid who watched this show when in reruns when I was little, and then ended up working on it. I never noticed this. I never noticed this cycle of. of uh, Two directors. Uh-huh. One of the things that I was from a first well, AD's. How about Mark Daniels being with Lucy on I Love Lucy? Yeah. And helping invent the three camera sitcom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, not enough credit is given to the, to the, how we still do that technique to this day. Like they set the standard. Um, however, from the first AD's perspective, this is a very interesting moment because first AD's rotate in and out. Think of a pistons on an engine. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. While one is prepping, the other one's shooting. And then when the one's done shooting, the crew doesn't take a week off. No one gets a break. You just go right on to the next episode. So for the DP and the crew, they're just going from one episode to another to another. But the first AD is prepping with the director and then comes and shoots. And the first AD who was just shooting goes back into prep with normally a new director. But in this case, it's the same director. And if those two people aren't um, <laughs> copacetic, yeah. it had to have been a very... You know, there's no like. Right I just got to get you other. this one. And like someone roommates. else is coming in. <laughs> in many ways, worse. You probably see this person far more than you would see your spouse. Yeah, and they probably cause you much more. Uh, they could push your buttons way easier. So you got to hope that the that the first AD is repaired with the director to which they are most compatible. There's a couple of directors that I can think of that like I, I don't know if I could have. I don't think I could have done it. You know, a two in a row is frightening. You know, the idea that be with them three or four in a row. Oh, just back to back to back to back. Back to back, well, same person the that's whole one thing time. That, yeah. One thing that's timeless about this, just for everybody listening, uh, people think, okay, yeah, directors, they're shooting. And, of course, they have to do some homework and prep. But the fact that the prep time for director in 1967 or today is pretty much established. It's set. It's factored in. It's part of their pay, yep. part of their pay grade. Um, and the fact that that's all scheduled out here, too. Sure, it's how, you yeah, know, it's how you know how many days of production you have. And that's why, what do we have, alternating? Where, where in the AD ranks does that mash up? First. Yeah. The first AD alternates. Or alternates. If, you have, if you have a really high-budget production, maybe you have two DPs who do that. 
Um, and I've heard of some shows, HBO level shows, where, where we were talking about you know forty, fifty million dollar. There's nothing for an episode mm-hmm. where there are multiple people who are uh, assigned either the odd string or the even string of episodes. But that's so rarefied air that you shouldn't think that way. The vast majority of episodic television comes in one of two forms. They shoot it like it's a feature, and there's one first CD and one director the whole time, and they have lots of money and lots of time. Or they do the traditional, well, one's prepping, one's shooting. And they just rotate Mm -hmm. in and out. And it's usually just the first AD. If you have a little more money, maybe uh, you have two DPs. Uh, Star Trek Next Generation, anyway, got into that with their uh, visual effects coordinator, supervisor teams. They would basically alternate back and forth. And eventually, at at the beginning of Next Gen, the prop masters alternated. And then they eventually wound up. Joe Longo and Alan Sims alternated shows until Until Longo went off to do DS9. And and then they just, just Alan. Yeah, and they just had one on each show. Well, so that's that's an important part of the deal. I'm, I was just refreshing here a little bit. Um, Joe Pevney and Mark Daniels wound up having the most episodes of the original series. Makes so sense. Of, they're, they're, yeah, <laughs> after doing this, that's, but like Ralph Sinensky was another one. Vincent yeah. McEvity. There were some other. Yeah. some I've that had a long Vince. range. Oh, really? Yeah. When, okay. my, when I was a trainee, I worked with him. He directed a Columbo, uh, one of the last Columbos, and I was a trainee on that. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, they all—they both have classic episodes here. But uh, it was just refreshing here that they start. Notice that we've got sixteen. Yep. So that was the order. They yep. got a back end order to get to flesh out the rest of the season. Everyone knows the, the second season had more than sixteen episodes, and they've started off here. And we were just curious about how you, know, you can look at the record and see who directed what show. But Joe was into this until Gene Kuhn left. And then he thought that when Gene Kuhn left that there was a little bit different mood among the actors. Hmm. And he didn't like it, and he got out of this uh, rotation. Wow, so he could have continued. He chose not to. They were using uh, Ralph Sinensky as a, as a fill-in from one of them had a you know sick day or something or whatever. But uh, Joe Pevney got on the radar. His first show was Arena, and he did it in uh, – it was scheduled for seven, and he yeah. did it in six. Yes. So they loved him. So a lot of famous stories around Arena, including how it was written. <laughs> right, right, yeah. out at Vasquez Rocks. with the Yeah, yeah. Uh, crazy stuff. And the explosions at the fort and – and the Goran at Vasquez Rocks. Uh, yeah, rewrites on, on set. Yeah. Which was crazy. And the fact they did it in six, not seven, is kind of uh, amazing. But um, I think only the Jemadar and the Quarry and DS9 uh, <laughs> it makes more of a nightmare scenario. I feel so, that guy, at least in the lizard suit, you could see how the head would come off. But the Jemadar, the head doesn't come off. They're sealed in. Yeah, yeah. and they were in like 109-degree temperature on that, that shoot in the quarry, and uh, they were literally cutting the tops off of the off their uh, makeup, the top of the head, and pouring ice water into it to, to keep them from becoming dangerously overheated. So it was a struggle. Um, <laughs> that's not my show, Deep Space Nine, but, you know, I was there when that yeah. was happening, and I, I talked to the ADs. and hard we were to like, keep the oh stories from penetrating across the street. Yeah. yeah. And the trailer rose. Well, yeah. you know, and I was just thinking of Joe Pevney is not the directors in TV. They, they do a little casting, guest of the week and all that, but they're sitting in there, right? So, Well, the primary cast is selected before they right, get there. Right, right. Again, another part of them being not in the 
And in the 60s, I'm not sure what the rights were. Once the uh, um, Artist Rights Foundation and AFI start to come around, there's some uh, contract language in the DGA now that protects the director's participation even in a television show for guest stars who aren't established, that they have to have a say in that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that was true in the 60s. I I don't know if there were such protections. Or if it was just your personal karma and chemistry. Here's your nurse. (laughs) Don't ask me where she came from. Don't ask me where she came from. We liked her. Yeah. She yeah. tested well. Who tested her? Top men. This is my nephew. <laughs> yes. Please use him as a security guard. Well, <laughs> Walter Koenig will always credit Joe Pevney for bringing his name in for Chekhov. Uh, oh, really? When they started second season. Yeah. Huh. Just as they were. Because, you know, Chekhov is going to be around while Sulu's got to be. Well, not originally, but uh, George wound up shooting the Green Berets, and that's where Chekhov took off was was getting all the Sulu bits while he was gone for so long. Right. So, yeah, so uh, Joe Pevney lasted through the immunity syndrome. And, uh, and never, never and, did and another never, one. Yeah, didn't do another one after that. Wow. But, again, it's a hand-drawn form. Sure I mean, not, yeah. every show has to sit down and do their director's list and yep. do a schedule. That's Some, some things are timeless. And but, you, you often wonder who's doing that, who, who wrote it, whose handwriting is that? You know? Is that the production secretary often notes, or is that is that could that have been? I mean, who who do you think? You have a guess? Who uh, do you think's most likely the person who wrote and, it? Well, there's I, it's, it's familiar writing. I see it popping up a lot. Yeah. I'm trying to think who in the in the office then would have been. I don't know the original series people enough to know, but it's it's trackable. I bet I bet we can compare it with signed documents. Sure. And, it's, and, it, and it, it's very much a thing you still do this day. You schedule out your directors. It's nowadays. Most productions don't have 16 episodes in a year. That's, that's a, a rare network thing. It used to be common. Mm-hmm. You know, 32-episode season, 26-episode season, 20-episode season, 16-episode season. Now it's eight. You know, it's, uh, and which is a big thing that the Writers Guild is concerned about is it's hard to make a living as a writer when you're contracted to a show that only does eight exactly. shows over six months and you only get paid twice. And your benefits are scheduled on things that are now halved. Yeah, so they, there has to be a change in the dynamic there if, if this is the way we're going to go. But my personal opinion is that television never been better than right now. I think that's, yeah, peak yeah. TV and not just in hours, but in no, uh, the quality. quality. And that's because they're only doing eight episodes. The irony that we had three networks and so much crap yeah. <laughs> in the old days. How many does, does Discovery do a year? Hmm? Does Discovery do 12 a year? They do 13. They've 13. done 15, 14, 13 this right. year. And just think, 10 back, for Picard. back then that wouldn't, wouldn't have even completed the front order of the 26 that they did. Right, right. Wouldn't have even been close. Right. Well, so that's if you look at it and go, why does it look so much better? <laughs> Money, time. <laughs> Money, time. That's all that's, you need. That's the magic words. Yeah. Anyway, well, thanks, Mike, for joining us on uh, something from your, your unique point of view here uh, to look at the, a little corner there we haven't, hadn't thought about. Right. But you know what? Anytime I can sit and look at some handwritten forms from the original series, it's, a, it's very uh, It's very cool. Very it's, it's like touching the side of the phoenix almost. <laughs> You get burned doing that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Don't tell your captain and your Android science officer. Anyway, thanks again, Mike, for joining us. Anytime. Hey, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All of our documents and your choice to comment, please, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. 
That's me at LarryNemacek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.